Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Star Trek First Contact. In the year 1996, we had our first Shatner free Star Trek movie. Yeah, it's hard. We don't quite think of that. You're like, oh, it's a second next gen film, right? So. But I, I kind of still. Because it opens with the Monster Maroon, opens with Scotty and Shatner, that one to me still kind of feels like a TOS movie. Yeah, a little bit. It's got, it's got a shade of that. But, but this was the, the first one that uh, I guess really let the, the crew set sail on the big screen. So anyway, we should get rolling. This is Matt. This is Luke. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Today we are talking about continuing our, our Star Trek track with uh, First Contact, which... I guess is pretty much the most beloved of the next-gen movies, and for some people, uh, of all of them. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Well, I, I'm mostly a next-gen fan. As a kid, this was definitely my favorite movie. Right, right. So, um, anyway, this is a very good one, and we try to, you know, step up our guests a little bit on our Star Trek game. So, today we've got a guy that um, is executive producer on all of the Star Treks and, and the son of the guy that created the whole thing. So hello, Rod Roddenberry. Hey guys, thank you for having me. Man, and uh, I, I can agree with you 100%. It was really nice to uh, to have the first Shatner free movie come out because I am a next gen fan. Don't get me wrong, still love the original, but next gen all the way. Yeah, I'm pretty, I mean, my age, I'm, I'm about to turn 42 and like I, my most of my TOS memories were kind of like little kid memories. So when I really knew what was happening, I guess it, it was uh, tying a little more into TNG. Um, well, I was born in 1990, so I never saw TOS till I watched loads of TNG. Yeah, that that blows my mind a little bit. I, my first memory of TOS is I think they started running reruns on like Channel Four in the UK, and my friend came up to me in the school and I was like, "Ah, oh, you should watch it. It's got way more shooting." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, shooting school. Well, ne next gen was always just more believable to me. It's the ship that I would want to be on, the seventeen oh one D with a captain like that and a crew like that. I feel like I would live longer. I mean, you know, if if Kirk were out there actually doing what he was doing, making out with Orion girls and and all sorts of stuff, that ship would have been blown up like in the second episode because you know he would just get everyone into trouble. This movie has a uh, outlier to that, of course, which we'll get into, but. <laughs> With Lieutenant Hawk, but... Uh, well, and uh, also just in terms of Picard, this is him at his, his most Kirk, if anything. Yeah, really. But, um, Rod, I, I've heard you on a few podcasts before. I, I understand you, you grew up as a rebellious uh, Star Wars kid and sort of got into Next Gen with your, your summer job. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, was a, I was born in 74, and what, Star Wars came out in 78 or 77? Seven. Or, I, I don't know when it came out. 
I was a kid and it was a, a magical, fun sci-fi thing with a good guy and a bad guy and black and white and lightsabers and, 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 and space battles. And I mean, that's perfect for a kid my age. And so, yeah, I grew up more of a Star Wars kid. Um, I certainly did not grow up in, an intellectual and I doubt I am one today. Um, but Star Trek, in my opinion, takes a little bit more of an intellectual audience. Uh, it can be fun too, and it is. But I think there's a little bit more thinking involved um, most of the time, not all of the time. And um, you, I mentioned your summer job. Um, you were, you did work a little bit on the uh, next gen sets, was it? Yeah, I was 13 years old, and my father, uh, he, you know, uh, for for a summer job, you know, he wanted to at least teach me sort of, you know, what it's like to work for a living, or at least start at a young age and hopefully learn something from that. So he got me a job as a production assistant, a PA, a gopher essentially on the set of Next Generation first season. And I remember hating, I, I, I didn't hate the job, but I never, I never wanted to do it. It was summer. I wanted to go play with my friends. And uh, so he forced me to go do that. I did have a fun time working on the set, but I was just a kid running around delivering scripts and stuff like that. Never took a real interest at that point and, and certainly didn't really care because Star Trek hadn't really sunk in. Mm. Um, and so it was just a summer job that my father made me do. I made the most out of it. I had fun, but, uh, I, I don't think I learned anything from it, um, necessarily, especially at the age of 13. And I remember saying to my father, you know, I, I, I he said, he said to me, actually, do you know how many people would kill for this job? And I was like, they don't have to, they can have my job, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so to all of your audience ma members who would probably die to have a job like that, um, you, you guys can all hate me and send in, send in the hate mail now. Uh, I was 13. Give me a break. Come on. Uh, I, I don't really think I want to be carrying the coffee around. So When I was 13, I had a job delivering the free newspaper in my local neighborhood, and I didn't even want to do that, so I started chucking them over a hedge. <laughs> I got caught. <laughs> um, I guess we'll move up a, a couple years to this movie and how we came across it. Um, I think I actually went with my high school friends. I was a senior in high school, so it, it was a weirdly, you know, saved by the bell sort of situation. That, that, yeah. So um, I do remember, uh, actually, a guy that might be on this podcast later and has been listening, a friend of mine growing up. I remember the day after I saw it, he wanted me to just give him the spoilers for this movie. <laughs> and I was like, that's stupid. So I just lied to him. I, uh, what did I tell him? I told him Data becomes a woman. <laughs> I told him Troy dies uh, ostensibly of alcohol poisoning or something and, and that the Enterprise does blow up again. So when he finally went to see it, I, just, I tried to tell him lies that like had some roots and things you see in the movie. So yeah, yeah, he was pissed off at me later. That's fun. I had a friend. Yeah, really? Yeah. So I, he didn't get spoiled in the end. I had a friend who did the opposite. He'd always tell us real spoilers, but he'd say them in such a ridiculous way you'd think they were lies. Okay. <laughs> but not for this one. Not for the, oh, the, by when I saw this, I was like five, six years old when this came out. So I, I obviously didn't see it in the theaters. I think I saw it as soon as it came out on tape. Right. And like my right. whole family would have sat down to watch it together because we were all Trekkies. So. Mm -hmm. This was a solid movie, guys. I mean, I, I really, I, I watched it again. And listen, I, I probably haven't seen it as many as some fans, but I'd say honestly, maybe 10 times. And it, it holds up. I mean, every single time it holds up. There's nothing I saw in it this time that read too campy to me. Sure, we all have a little bit of an issue with Picard going Rambo, but I, I was, I'm willing to suspend some disbelief in that area and, and somehow justify it that, you know, he's been 
He's already been the cutest. I mean, there's a lot going on inside of him, and he had to let go oh. a little bit. So I mean, yeah, he became a, a bit of a, a Kirk. This is a guy with some PTSD, basically. So you can forgive him making some rash decisions. <laughs> and the, the film addresses that. It doesn't expect you to be on board with him suddenly going Rambo. You, you know, the thought I had is that a, a while ago, um, unfortunately, we just lost an, an incredible person in, in Star Trek and Star Trek fandom, Richard Arnold, who was a close friend of my father's and a friend of mine. Um, but um, I did an interview for him for uh, a documentary uh, many years ago. And he talked about the differences between two kinds of Star Trek. And there's, but there's, granted, there's more kinds of Star Trek out there, but the two main ones. And he says, some of the Star Trek shows show us a humanity that we can aspire to and be one day. The characters are these better humans. And some of these Star Treks show us who we are today. They're characters who have the, the idiosyncrasies, the, 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 the drawbacks that we have, our jealousies and, and our, our, our abilities to, to sort of jump to conclusions and make rash decisions. I always like Next Generation because of the latter. It, 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 it inspired me. That's who we could be someday. We could be a group of people working together, collaborating, not jumping to conclusions, not jumping down each other's throats, but really listening to each other and working together. Whereas uh, uh, I, I think Deep Space Nine showed us more of who we are today and some of the problems. Granted, they were uh, alien characters and not necessarily Starfleet, but, it, and people can identify with that. You know, if a character's really pissed off and angry and, and does something rash. We're like, yeah, I felt that way before. So I get the reason why fans like that. Um, in this movie, I, I noticed, and probably because of the PTSD, I noticed uh, Picard showing a little bit more of the, the, the behaviors that I hope we can get past. But again, PTSD, it was explained. I was able to, I don't want to say forgive it, but, but kind of go along with it. So uh, I, I think I've jumped ahead in the in the idea of this show. But, That's fine. Um, no, no problems at all. <laughs> yeah, I, often, I was I just saying I, I liked I liked it. I'm mostly the same as you on Star Trek. I like the very optimistic vision, but I think the very best Star Trek is when it does both. It shows people who are like we are today, trying to be what we can be. And I think there are times in this film where that's what it is. Yeah, there's Picard some... is weak, but he's trying to be this better version of humanity. I, I think one of the reasons I tend to rewatch Star Trek so much as uh, so much media is your hero makes some horrible mistake and that you know like Spider-Man doesn't decides to wrestle and his uncle dies right that sets him on his journey like he made a horrible mistake whereas Star Trek is generally even with Deep Space Nine because uh, like you said it's more with the alien uh, characters but it's like you know we've gotten past that point we're now going to find conflict by trying to explore new things the conflicts out there it's not here hmm yeah, I, I, that word conflict has always stuck with me and, and I, it, it bothers me um, because, uh, you know, I think most people in Hollywood tell you that stories are about conflict. But what, what I think people need to know is conflict doesn't mean two people arguing, fighting or chasing each other. Conflict can be two people having a conversation and having two different points of view. Now, that may not make good television <laughs> unless it's a really good conversation and great writing. Um, but conflict does not have to be. Uh, uh, fighting and arguing. It could be the warp nacelle is is going to erupt, and they have to. They're on a clock, and they got to fix it. So, I, I it's it's I struggle with it because I, I get it. Conflict is needed, and heroes need to grow. They they don't start off heroes, and I get that. Um, it's just I go back to Next Generation, which I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not saying the characters were always perfect, but the way that that crew came together and worked together and and respected each other's point of view and position. The captain, Ricard, 
didn't always make the right decision. He listened and got counsel from all his people. And then from that, took, uh, took a course of action. And I think the best leaders do that. They listen to the people around you and then using that information, make a decision. And well, so that's, this, I mean, that's my, that, that's, that's what I love about Next Gen. In this movie, the big character turn is when the audience and Picard notice that he hasn't done that. Yeah. That's the point when you realize like, oh, he's gone too far because he's not listening to his crew. And then when he realizes that, that's when it all turns around. They just read an article a day or two ago, and, and they were actually uh, praising like the recent discovery in Lower Decks as a relatively positive one. But they kind of pointed out, like at its heart, the, since the '60s, Star Trek has like kind of been like a workplace drama. Yeah, just basically. For sci-fi trappings. Like these, all these characters. <laughs> this is just their day job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting. It's it's been a you know, it struggles too dramatic of a word. It's been a growing experience for me to open myself up to the various kinds of Star Trek that are out there uh, working on all these shows and, and listening to all these writers and producers and their takes on it. And, and uh, um, I'm sort of on the outer perimeter of, of the story creation. I, 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 I get scripts and I send in notes uh, w- with my partner, Trevor Roth, but uh, we, we, we aren't creating it. So it's very interesting to see what these people who have grown up with Deep Space Nine and other shows as our main shows really take on Star Trek. It's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a learning experience for sure. In the fair, I wanna go down like Banke, Lotus Blossom, where else of light stray? A deadly Borg cube is heading straight for Earth, but the Starfleet flagship Enterprise E is ordered to stay out of the struggle. It seems Captain Jean-Luc Picard is not considered reliable, as he had previously been assimilated by the Borg. Once the fleet is cut to ribbons, though, Picard violates orders, warps to the battle, and is able to take down the Borg cube with the remnants of the fleet. A smaller Borg sphere, however, escapes, travels back in time, and suddenly the Earth is completely assimilated by the Borg. Fortunately, the Enterprise remains unchanged in the sphere's wake and also goes back in time. It is now two centuries earlier, and Zephyrin Cochran is preparing to take his prototype warp ship into space, which will precipitate Earth's first contact. The Borg sphere managed to get a few choice shots on Cochran's compound before the Enterprise is able to destroy the sphere. An away team beams down to try and sober up the perpetually drunk Cochrane enough to repair his ship and take that warp flight, while a team of Borg who transported to the Enterprise at the last second begin to assimilate the ship. Cochrane keeps taking bourbon shots and pisses, while Picard returns to the ship to deal with the Borg. He loses data to the Borg's clutches, but takes Cochrane's engineer Lily, who was beamed to the ship for treatment for radiation poisoning, under his wing. Picard goes full movie Picard. With phaser rifle underarm, the Borg Queen tries to seduce Data with the gift of flesh, and Commanders Riker and LaForge get to joyride on Cochrane's warp flight. It all ends well enough with the Borg components, uh, excuse me, the Borg getting melted down to their organic components, the Vulcans coming down to check out what the warp signature was, and the Enterprise returning to their own time somehow.
I suppose they just go at like actual light speed for a while without using warp or something. Yeah, I mean, traveling forwards in time is easy. Yeah. We do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> I just heard that bandied about. Why is time travel so easy? Well, we, we, we give it to the Borg in the uh, beginning, and eh, they can, well, you can in, work around it at the end. In Star Trek Four, they can just do it whenever they fancy. They have to go through that psychedelic trip first. Yeah. <laughs> well, they pretty much established that in this one, but you got to let it go too, right? Because just yeah. the, the last two sentences in the end, it's like, yeah, we got it figured out. No worries. We'll, we'll get out. We'll get into the future again. There, there's enough to chew on it's, in this film that it's not really a big problem. So um, we'd like to get a little bit to the actors and the characters. And I did want to start this round. Uh, so we, of course, we'll talk about the main cast, but we did that in our Generations podcast a little bit. But uh, I think this has the best sort of ensemble guest cast of any Trek film. Yeah, there's a lot of good guests in this one. We got, we got Oscar winners here, right? <laughs> or at least nominees. Um, I mean, Alice, Alice Krieg is great as the board queen, and she's like the, the second tier, because we got, um, as Cochran, um, James Crom James Cromwell, James yeah. James Cromwell, and um, Alfie Woodard is absolutely fantastic i mean and the board queen what's uh alice no. alice krieg yeah so oh alice krieg sorry yeah 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 uh, like i said she's maybe not up to those other two but for any other trek film she'd be a standout so <laughs> and i uh, know yeah, it was a, it was a great cast it was actually i mean a, a great cast and and i loved uh, cromwell's portrayal of uh, of uh that guy um that dude. <laughs> they, I, I love the fact that he didn't want to be that that guy. He didn't want to have a statue. He didn't want to be known. He he was so overwhelmed by by how the future saw him. Uh, it, it was it was a, it was a nice take on that character. And I loved seeing it as a real person. Like so, I, I come at it from a very personal thing. I did a documentary that came out in twenty twelve called a uh, 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 Trek Nation. It was about my father. And one of the things in it is I was trying to humanize my father because my father. Everyone put him on a pedestal. Uh, Gene Roddenberry, The Great Bird of the Galaxy. And uh, it, it's hard for a son to identify or connect with someone who is put so high up on a pedestal. And of course, saying this to you and everyone listening, they're like, of course. But um, my father was just another human being. And, and he, he was, you know, plenty of flaws and issues and mistakes and things like that. Um, and I really enjoyed seeing that uh, uh, here because, you know, he was a, a functioning alcoholic. Uh, he, he was ready to scrap his plans to take the, uh, the, the, I forgot the name of the ship, but to uh, take this ship it. out. I mean, he, he was just a regular human being. Yes. Who had a vision like my father and, and maybe vision is too strong a word, had an idea. We all have ideas, but worked hard to see that idea come true and sure got discouraged. Sure. Didn't want the the glory um uh again why do i keep forgetting cromwell's character's name it's uh, uh zephyrin cochrane zephyrin cochrane thank you uh, he his whole thing he says to make money and retire on an island with naked women i was like that's great not because he said that but because he was flawed and 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 weak-minded like we all are um but it, it, it's okay to be human it's okay to do these things, but he had a passion to do something. He had the talent and he wanted to build this ship and get out there and, 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 and try this new technology. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an Elon Musk kind of thing. You know, he, the guy's a genius, no doubt. Uh, the guy's flawed, no doubt. Um, but we need people like him to push us forward. 
And uh, so it was, it was really great to see that character portrayed as, as a human and not a hero. And I've heard people kind of complain a little bit about, he shows, uh, Cochran's character shows up in TOS in a much more like idealized form. He's, mm. he's gone out in deep space. He's been like de-aged by this alien presence. To me, there's not really a disconnect there. You know, maybe as he owned his stature and then uh, have a couple hundred years by yourself. Uh, yeah, who knows how you're, and, and under those situations, I, 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 I'm perfectly willing to fit those pieces together as a interesting journey of a person. Look, it's even um, at the end when Riker's like quoting him from the future, and he's like, oh, "That's some that's some nonsense." Who said that? He's like, "You said that." <laughs> but yeah, th this sort of life will change you, I guess, a bit. You're you're going to kill me for saying this. You just made a great statement there. I I do love the original series. Of course, it started it all, but the original series is. Uh, let me say this entire thing because I'm going to say it really controversially right now <laughs> is very dismissible for me because we went to a, a Nazi planet. We went to a mobster planet. We went to a lot of the plot lines in there. You know, we, we would not let TV get away with today. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying people should forget it. And I'm not saying it's not Star Trek. I'm saying it was Star Trek of the 60s. That's what they did back then. Those are stories that resonated and worked back then um, to, to try to say, well, yeah, Cromwell in this movie doesn't connect with the one from the TV show. I can let that go very easily because I dismiss some of the, uh, the weaker attributes of, of the 60s uh, TV show. Um, and again, weaker, it's, I'm not criticizing anyone or not, not intentionally, I'm just saying that's what it was back then. Uh, 50 years, 100 years from now, they'll be looking at Discovery and, and Next Generation and saying that was that's the, that's ridiculous the way those characters behaved. So, I mean, I, I don't know. No, I put on but I said that for to be controversial so you're, <laughs> everyone in listening to this can write in letters and, and be angry at me. <laughs> I uh, showed my, my wife and my daughter some of Discovery, and they're, they're not Trekkies, but they liked it pretty well. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try, and I put on The Trouble with Tribbles for my daughter, and she just like laughed hysterically at it for about five minutes. I was like, okay, I think I'll turn this off, you know? That's my thing. That's not her thing, right? Yeah, well, I have a lifelong Star Trek fan, but when people ask me about watching Star Trek, I'm like, yeah, there's maybe ten episodes of the original series you should watch. Yeah, because uh, we, we, we have co-workers, they're... Um, I guess mid twenties, and they're like, "Oh, it's Star Trek is for for older people, is it?" Or, but you know, <laughs> I, I think that's becoming less and less now. There's so much modern Trek coming out, but that sort of, especially a few years ago, that was sort of the vibe. Like, you know, as thirty, you have to know what you're going to watch. If, if someone who's never seen Star Trek and they're a younger person, uh, it, you're absolutely right. I think to just say go watch the original series, I think there's you need. I think depending on the kind of person they are, they need some context. They need an intro. They need to be like. You, but you got to watch it with the, the, the mind and the eyes of someone either much older or some or frame of mind from back then. Because you're absolutely right. There, it's, uh, there only are a number of good shows that might hold up today for someone who's never seen Star Trek. Yeah. And it might be if they watch those 10 great episodes, they like it enough, then they'll watch the rest and they'll be able to enjoy, you know, kitschy charm. But you can't just say, yeah, sit down and watch this 60 episodes of a show made almost 60 years ago. You know, it doesn't work for everyone. I could sit down and enjoy Spock's Brain, but I'm not going to recommend it to anyone. <laughs> Spock's Brain, that was one that I hadn't seen in years. And then when uh, we did our podcast for Mission Log, uh, uh, it, it was great to watch that with much more adult eyes. And I, I 
listen, I still have tremendous issues with it, but I was like, okay, all right. I'm willing to accept it, you know. It's fun. (laughs) Well, and you talk about like Nazi planets and gangster planets. We don't need those anymore because we have the holodeck. (laughs) Moving through that guest cast, um, Alfie Woodard definitely stands out here. I I mean, she's got one of the best acting turns and I think any Trek just uh jeez I, I don't want to say she's above the material but <laughs> I mean I only know her from this and Luke Cage what else has she done um hit, hit the thing uh, I know there's tap. some 90s things in there um yeah I don't I, I I recognize her but I don't know her that well as an actress but she was phenomenal in this she's she played the... that character beautifully oh 12 years a slave I think she's one of the uh, council people in Civil War the film that we keep bringing up and we shouldn't Oh, now you have to say it. <laughs> yeah, she's done a lot of what looked like real films, so I haven't seen them. Yeah, she's. I mean, I mean, I am a schly fi sock guy, sci fi schlock guy. So you know, uh, when I was around age twenty, I go and just see oh the Oscar bait. Um, she's in like a fair amount of Oscar bait films, which I'm I barely watch moving images anymore. Uh, I have to like do my homework for this podcast so <laughs> yeah she's done loads of films that don't have robots or spaceships or dinosaurs so i've never seen them <laughs> i'm um, sure they're all very good but yeah she's really good in this and i thought the film needs her because she's someone who's not part of picard's crew so she's the one who can put him in his place yeah no absolutely uh that's she 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 did that incredibly well i i i do want to uh, I don't know if we we were going to get to the point where we're poking at the movie and asking like why did they make that choice, but one that stands out was the holodeck scene, why why Picard had to do all of that to go into that 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 nineteen uh, twenties what I era just to get the Tommy gun out of Mickey the noses whatever I it's like just just have them just ask for a gun in there can't they just. <laughs> You're the captain. You can probably ask for whatever you want. Might, might have been a moment of fan service, I guess. <laughs> well, no, it made it, it made for a great scene. That's why. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, for a fantastic yeah. scene. No, that's one of the iconic images of the film. Just you know, Picard going nuts with the Tommy gun in a in a tuck. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the way we Shoot, get there. and that proves it though. That proves it. The phaser, useless, right? Their shields yeah. are always uh, adjust, and can, they no longer work. I mean, the Enterprise should just have Tommy guns for Borg. <laughs> some space marines yeah <laughs> well do we do we know that they wouldn't adjust to tommy guns after a while like i don't know it's yeah. energy versus an actual projectile so right. i mean that's that's probably not the discussion we want to get into today but uh it is something to think about i'm yeah. sure there's a novel that explains mm. why the enterprise <laughs> doesn't have tommy guns. it's your job now to write a dissertation on how this would work and please submit it to this podcast uh as soon as possible We'll do a little bit on the main cast. Uh, this I, movie Picard didn't really show up in Generations. No, no, he's he's pretty much TV Picard in Generations. Yeah, yeah. I think this is our first real movie Picard. Um, I, I guess the um, oh, is it 
The one where he's trying to where he where the, the original Die Hard on a, sh- on a ship episode from Next Gen. I oh, guess um, a little bit. Enemy Mine. Yeah, yeah. No, Enemy Mine. Nice. Yeah. Is it Enemy Mine? Or it's Starship also a movie. Mine? It might be Starship. And yeah. Anyway, Enemy yeah. Mine's a movie, but that's a good yeah. one. <laughs> oh, Enemy Mine's a great movie, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I only watched that one a few months back. It's a pretty fun episode. But again, like we said earlier, this is this is a very different Picard. But it feels like it's a different Picard for a reason. It doesn't feel like they're just, oh, it's a movie, make him an action hero. Because I never feel like we're meant to approve of what he's doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's like Kirk had like zero, as we said on earlier episodes, uh, Kirk had zero character development through TOS because that's when you do hit the reset button every week. All his character development and is in the movies where mm. Picard had already had quite a bit so they can like build off of that and do something that's a little bit like uh, doesn't feel good when you see it well you've got seven seasons of love for him yeah. so they can afford to make you dislike him a bit. <laughs> yeah yeah and and I, I gotta say as a kid watching the next generation um part two and I forgot the two-part series but the one with the lights I know you all know what it is right uh, yeah. I, I see that was chain. Thank you, chain of command, part two. Um, that was the first time, at least, I realized that I saw a a character, a strong character that looked weak. So an old balding man with his shirt off, strung up, like as as weak as someone could be, but the strength was in the character and the commitment to not giving in. Um, that, that that blew me away. That was one of my 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 I don't want to say life changing moments, but in terms of story, I, I had never realized or seen a character that was shown in such a feeble way, but also portrayed in such a strong way. And it blew me away. I was like, wow, there is something to writing and story and character. You know, you you don't have to have a Rambo. Mm. You can have someone who's strong from within. And uh, I, I I think that's one of the things I've always loved about Picard. That episode, actually, in the UK, um, it got the time slot shifted from prime time to later in the evening because it, they considered it unsuitable for children. And like, there's no gore or anything. It's just, um, yeah, well, it's just acting. It's Patrick Stewart's acting makes you believe that terrible things have happened to him. Yeah, yeah. I rewatch that one way less just because it's intense, not because it's bad in many means. It's one of the better episodes, but uh, it's not... You just want to sit down and have a good time. It's probably not the one to put on. No, not the one. And to my head on a weekly basis, because at work I'll often ask students, how many tables, how many chairs, how many lights? Same here. (laughs) Every time they say, there are four lights. Oh, the most fun... The most fun is it's like the fluorescent lights and they're doubled up. So maybe like some kids like eight lights and some kids like four lights. Of course, whoever I'm asking, I go with their answer. I'm like, it doesn't matter. But yeah, that does pass through my head every single time. (laughs) Do you get to show them any shows yet? You got to show them some Star Trek. I did. Well, we don't really show them stuff, but I I did uh, rock out a a gold shirt for Halloween a a year or two ago. So... (laughs) Sometimes with my older, like, high school kids, I try and get them to watch stuff. Because they need practice at just hearing English conversations. But I don't know if they ever take my advice. <laughs> no, uh, sorry, what, what you guys do, you're, you're, uh, forgive me, you're, you're, you're teachers, English teachers in Japan. Yeah. And, and I don't know if your audience, I'm sure your audience knows that. And if they don't, you can cut this out. But when I was in high school, there was a group that came to our high school and invited about five of us kids, uh, Canada, I don't know, 15, 14, 16, 
And we went and there was a, a classroom of about, I think, 20 or 30 Japanese kids. And they would come in, I guess, sort of an exchange. And this was in the evening. This was at seven o'clock or six o'clock. And we would just talk. To, we were there to talk English to them. And so I'm not saying I can do what you guys are doing. I'm not an English teacher. But I, it's a coincidence that I, I had an experience where or I feel like for at least a semester, if not a year, I would do this once a week and, and meet with these Japanese kids. And we would just we'd play board games and, and stuff like that. So uh, sorry. I'm, I'm... You can do a big part of what we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just going to throw out that the uh, the gold shirt the, w the week I did wear that for Halloween. Uh, most of the kids thought I was in a soccer jersey. <laughs> it, yeah, so there, there was, it was like the Kelvin burst out with the little squiggles and stuff on it. But uh, yeah, I just thought, are you a soccer player? No! <laughs> um, are there any of the other main cast that you folks kind of want to hit on, uh, particularly with this movie? No, I feel like everyone gets their little bits, but they're not doing anything more than what they did in the show like well data was great you know this is a good this is data a good got to showing yeah data got to explore his character i i even liked um uh troy um her getting drunk i mean it was nice to you know it was really nice to see these characters out of their element mm. and so to be down on the planet back in time and kind of you know not aboard the ship i i think that was sort of refreshing um i think that was also very attractive and uh uh, and, you know, a lot of us who have grown up with Star Trek, it becomes a family. And the crew showed that when when uh, Worf came on board and Riker gave him grief about remembering how to fire the, the phasers. You know, that I, I don't know if it was necessary, but it felt good because after going through however many seven seasons of, of Next Generation, I don't know if all seven had come out by now. Had they already come out? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. regardless, um, to have that sort of camaraderie and that friendship between them all that that I don't know it was, it's a warm and fuzzy feeling and you only get that when you're you're you commit yourself to a show like this that's what makes the uh, Dwight Schultz cameo like work out pretty well it doesn't seem too cheesy because it kind of adds to that where uh, Barkley shows up again you know he's doing his job he's still mildly awkward and uh gets Cochran to run off basically so <laughs> when I was re-watching it I couldn't remember if he even gets any lines or if we just see him in the background looking excited. So, <laughs> if, if they just left it at that, that's even funnier, almost. And we even get, because we get Worf on the Defiant and we get the um, EMH, this is the closest we ever get to a DS9 and Voyager movie. No, you're absolutely right. That's right. We had uh, uh, Picardo in there, didn't we? Yeah. Bob Picardo, yeah. This is... Yeah, because it was only for several years afterwards, my father, when driving, would just say ramming speed when he was passing people. That was always uncomfortable. <laughs> Guided by night's vision, a vision of something great, has me crossed the desert to where the unknown waits. Frying pan of Turpan's fire, passage through the iron gate, a funeral procession, eternity won't wait. Insight into the decline, the relics I hold in hand. Monasteries deserted, shadow Kandala's land. This goes beyond what I've heard, and is more than what was said. To be being or not to be being. Realization arises as a lotus, transformed in what is called head. <laughs>
Um, I guess we'll move on a little bit to design. Uh, we'll geek out for a second. Enterprise E. It's not as good as the D. It's not, it's not as good as the D. I, I guess the D was always a little wide for me, though. I do like I, the, the I th streamlined. I think the bit. D is my favorite spaceship ever. Really? Okay. Yeah, I love okay. the Enterprise D. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I think Star Trek has a problem right now with ships have to look cool and sleek. Mm. And I, I, I just, first of all, it doesn't matter in space. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm bothered when they make, a ship has to make sense. Like the sections have to make sense, you know, where the nacelles are and where the body is and where the engines are and, and the saucer section and, and what part, the, what the function of the saucer section is. Um, I think right now people are saying, oh, we don't know. It just looks cool. So let's use it. Mm. And, and, and that, that, that really bothers me. Um, I want there to be rhyme and reason why the ship is shaped a certain way. So you're not a re Reliant class fan where you have to like beam from the bridge to engineering because there's no other way. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm certainly not. To me, the thing when you try and chase cool, cool will not be cool forever. Whereas I feel like the D wasn't trying to be cool. It just looks like, oh, I could live there. And so I think the D will always look great. Yeah. My mother used to call it, she said it looked like a pregnant duck. Um, yeah. I don't know how that really works, but you know, she, she said that and, and, and she's right. It, at first, if you've never seen it, you're like, well, that's weird looking, but you're right. It, it isn't trying to look cool. And you're like, that looks like a place where families would live. And it looks like it's from the future. Yeah. Like it doesn't look like anything that exists today. Whereas even the E kind of looks like this is what we would try and build now. It looks a bit military and it's all, mm. you can see where it's put together and stuff. Yeah, I didn't like the bridge. I didn't like the decor. It's definitely more military. You know, I, I love the idea of these ships being out there for long missions and families being aboard. And, and listen, I, none of us have been out there. I don't know how realistic it is that families are on board. I, 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 I'd like to hope one day we get to that point. Um, but, uh, no, I, I, I want it to be a comfortable ship. If you're on there for that long, you need to be comfortable. You're going to go crazy if you're in a, uh, you know, something that just looks like a submarine. It definitely stuck out in this one. It's like, oh, the families are gone. That's a little weird. I, I mean, they did just crash the last one. Maybe that's why, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. No one was really on it, were they? It's a big ship to have just those few people. Yeah, I mean. Do we ever hear a number for how much crew are supposedly on board? For this one, I think the D was a thousand, but I don't. Yeah, think but for they, this one specifically, I, I mean. don't think they get to that number. Yeah, but yeah, it did, it did feel like they were just flying around with a skeleton crew, yeah. preparing for battle more than anything. <laughs> well, and Picard says, "I'm going to defy a direct order. All of you on the bridge, you can say something now about it. Everyone else, you're screwed." <laughs> That's kind of always the case. Though. <laughs> it is. It is. It's typical. I know. I know. Can you imagine just like some ensign on like deck 15 running up? Captain, Captain, uh, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's what Lower Decks, the animated series, is kind of supposed to be about. Right, yeah, I need to get around to that soon. Yeah. Matt's watched all of it, I think. Yeah, yeah, this morning I came in and looks like I finally watched Lower Decks. I'm like, oh, did you like it? No, 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 the TNG episode. <laughs> Which is also good, but. <laughs> um. The Borg sphere is new here. That's kind of weird. I don't is know. Is this our first time we saw a sphere? I'm pretty sure it is. I thought there had been a sphere in earlier episodes. I just thought it was interesting that they build their ships into like platonic solids. It kind of makes sense for a race of like 
logical computer people. So we need a Borg pyramid at some point. I want a flying pyramid. You always want flying pyramids. I always want pyramids. (laughs) Well, I remember in Next Gen, one of the episodes, didn't they have a more ship-looking or at least a a non- Oh, I think that's the the Borg who are working with Law. But they okay. have emotion, so I guess they're trying to build a cool spaceship. Building oh, is that what it was? Ship. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the episode where they have a different ship, because they don't even realize it's Borg at first. That was called Borg Cool, right? Yeah. Borg Chic. That's Borg Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's when it does become Swedish. <laughs> New Borg, yeah. Oh, and that was great. That was, She was wonderful when she says, sounds Swedish, and then down, she says it like under her breath. Definitely not Swedish. It was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. <laughs> I guess this is our time to just do our type five on the Borg. Okay. <laughs> like, how do you feel about Borg as like one I, of the alien races? It's. I don't know how many leg, how much legs they really have. Like, it's a fantastic sci-fi concept, and it's kind of hard to stretch it out. Which, which just movie is really finding new way, trying to find new ways to stretch it out, whether you like it or not. Because um, I, I know the Borg Queen brings up some controversy here and there, but yeah, the Borg to me are the most. They're the most that a Star Trek alien race feels like a Doctor Who alien race. Yeah. Where they're, they're super villains and they're great the first time you see them. And each time our heroes beat them, they're a little less scary next time. Sort of how the Daleks are almost like, that's, now that's a Happy Cheery episode. Yeah, the Daleks are basically Goombas now. The Doctor just jumps on their heads, right? <laughs> so. Well, I'm going to upset you guys because uh, I'm conflicted about the Borg. Okay. A, a couple things. And, and I'm not really comparing it to this movie. In this movie, they're fine, they're great, they're the Borg and they've done what they've done and the Queen obviously brings it to another level. Uh, But the idea of the Borg, I look forward to, uh, aside from the character of Hugh, uh, that was was a one, I Borg was great. Um, I I loved that one. Um, It's one of my favorite uh, of the next gen episodes. But, um, you know, they're automatons. They're 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 the hive mind. They're 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 simply looking to assimilate and grow. Although there is that question of what is evolution? Do they evolve? Do they not evolve? Is it just conquering? Um, I, I don't necessarily blame them, except for now we have a queen and there is someone who's kind of evil pulling the strings, and so that makes sense. But I, I feel like the future of humanity, our next step in evolution, or one of our next steps in evolution. Uh, hundreds, thousands of years down the road, assuming we make it that far, um, we're, we're going to have to bring machinery and organics together. And I, I don't know if it'll be traditional machinery like gears we have today. Maybe we're going to come up with organic kinds of machinery. But like uh, the end of AI, do you know the movie AI? Oh, yeah. Where it was sort of that, uh, it seemed like this sort of organic robot things at the end. I feel like that's that's kind of our next step. And sure, in the, in, the, in the short term, we're talking about implants and cybernetics and maybe things like that. But I could see us somehow bringing birth and creation of these machines somehow together and being able to transfer our minds. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not predicting anything any science show hasn't already sort of suggested, but uh, that, that seems like the logical outcome for our human evolution, for our ability to get off planet, for our ability to, to grow beyond the restrictions of our human bodies. It's it's kind of a neat kind of a neat idea if they could take it that well. Me and Matt have talked about it a lot because I basically when I moved to Japan, my dad the, the one piece of advice my dad gave me was, Luke, please don't go and get your body parts replaced with robot parts. And I was like, I can't promise that. <laughs> That's kind of what I want. You know, I'm a little more hesitant to get those robot legs, but <laughs> basically everything but my brain you can 
Just chop it off and give me a cooler one. <laughs> but if you could put a hard drive in and have more capacity in your brain or instant recall. As long as it's a very, very secure hard drive. <laughs> one thing I was asking the students this week, I had like science technology questions and it's like, would you upload yourself? And I was like, I, I'd be perfectly happy to make like a digital copy of myself and just see what happens to it. And I'll, I'll I, I think I personally would want to like just live out my life, but I would be, okay, make a copy, see what happens there. I mean, maybe when I'm 99 and I'm on the deathbed, then yeah. <laughs> Even if you did it, put it in cold storage for a while, you know, like yeah. I, I kind of want to live my life to the conclusion that uh, it's quote natural conclusion. But hey, is that an evil thing to create a copy of myself that might think the same thing and tell that to go run off and become digital? But what about the hive mind concept? You know, in the future, as as we evolve and as we are able to download things to our mind and, and gain more knowledge, if we're all able to get instantly be connected to the Internet, so to speak, and have all that knowledge, well, then we're instantly all connected to each other. And then what happens to identity? Uh, I, I think there is identity, but if, we're, if you and I are connected right now because we've got super advanced minds, like we're not even talking. We're like, we're like, what's identity? Like I think, did I just think it or is it because I was connected to you and you just thought, I, it's fun stuff to think about, but, but it I blows mean, my mind. We're getting closer to that already. Uh, sometimes I'll be in a conversation and I'll say like, I don't know, we're talking about some video game and I'll express an opinion. Wait a minute. Is that even my opinion or did I hear it on a podcast? Yeah. 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 You go to Facebook, there's an ad. It's like, why am I getting this ad? And like two days later, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, yeah, like you were saying, you were getting back pain ads the day before you got back pain. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of weird. It's like, you know, the digital is guessing us well enough already that it's it knows what we're going to think a few moments before or a few days before we think it sometimes which is pretty trippy although one thing from having lived in japan for three years you know being extremely individual isn't necessarily a good thing there's much more of a community mindset in japan and that's why we have like much less crime mm. there's a better social safety net and thing people work harder because people do tend to think of themselves as part of the the group more than as themselves, which is a labored point which many people have made before me. But it does make you think like in the West, we grow everyone grows up thinking, I want to be a rock star. I want to be the king. In Japan, you ask a kid, what do you want to be? I want to drive a train. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we've said that before too. And then in the past year, like, I mean, America's become so divisive, you know, like, like mask, no mask is now your politics. I, I hate wearing a mask. I don't want to wear a mask, but I do it at work because, you know, Japan... We just kind of do it because we're not being assholes. <laughs> yeah, as soon as, like, it was like February last year and everyone in the country was wearing a mask. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, like, the UK has a thousand deaths a day and Japan has had 3,000 deaths total. Yeah. No, I listen, I, however you feel about wearing a mask, it's just being considerate of the other people. Yeah. You may not give a crap if you get COVID, but you might transfer it to someone else, especially if you have no, no uh, symptoms Even or anything. Even if you so, don't believe the mask helps because, you know, you're an idiot, just put it on to make other people feel better. <laughs> like, that's where I am. Is I mean, it really hurting you? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... It's like a gestalt consciousness thing. I mean, I can personally think that, but I am living in this reality, and I am, you know, like, the way we connect with each other does influence the atmosphere of the room, right? So and you're in a society like, you know, there are certain things you 
You just got to do. You know, like things happen. It's like as an individual, I don't like it, but just as a gestalt, it's like I need to kind of go along with that. That's just that's where this world's going to a certain extent. No, I love what you guys are hitting on. Absolutely. And it's why, why I love the next generation. I feel like everyone on board that ship is working together. Mm. Uh, and, and your 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 connection to the Japanese culture and the Western, um, you know, we're all in it for ourselves over here. And listen, I'm, I'm generalizing and I'm not saying everyone's terrible and I'm not saying everyone is, is just in it for themselves. But you're you're absolutely right. Um, how how can I take care of at least myself and if I need to my family? but not considering the people on my block or the people next door to me or the people around me. And truthfully, I'm a very privileged, fortunate person. I, I can, I can think in certain ways. Um, I, I think when people are just busting their ass to put food on the table, mm. it's hard for them to look at the world and say, I care about everyone when literally they're just at their wits and making shit money. Pardon me for swearing and, and just like trying to get through the day. Okay. <laughs> so, so I understand it's not easy. Uh, I, I just wish we were in that Star Trek future where there was no need and there was no want because they had the replicator. Uh, value is seen in the individual, not in the possessions they have. So I, I, I love Star Trek. I mean, I just love that idea. But At the, the same time. If that mindset was wider, then people wouldn't be in the position where they can't afford to put food on the tables. It's all just a big cyclical thing. In this movie, we have... Picard, though, making that speech, you know, sort of the, the, the no money speech, like kind of from rote, like he's got it memorized. Yeah. And then kind of going on and taking that individualist bent. Like he, it was almost like when he expounded that philosophy in this movie. At that time, he's agitated. He's got the PTSD. I mean, I, I do feel like his character does have that. But in this case, it's just kind of he's spewing it out and uh, doing something quite different. Well, again, and Lily calls him out on that. Exactly. He's like, yeah, you can say that, but it seems to me like you're just going after revenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well it was interesting to see his character out of whack it, it definitely threw me every time i watch it it definitely i want to say it rubs me the wrong way but it is justified at least in the the explanation and as you say the ptsd side of it so what i'm really interested in now is i haven't in 10 15 years watched insurrection and nemesis so so far generations picard is just tv picard uh first contact picard he is this action hero but for good reason but people always talk about movie Picard. So in Insurrection and Nemesis, is he just still Rambo for no reason? I, I guess he, he goes a little Rambo in Insurrection. Um, but in that case, from a better frame of mind, I guess. Right. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see these two. Yeah, yeah. Ne Nemesis, well, we'll talk about Nemesis when we get to it. But <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you and some other guests talk about those. Because I don't have much to say. <laughs> No, but I do like how we get a little bit of the mirror image in, in Insurrection. But, uh, and Nemesis will just, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I don't know if you're going to like it. Before we move on completely, like, um, I'm also not saying that Japan is perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, anyone who's an outlier really gets left out of society quite badly. So I, I always think of Japan on, like, this bell curve. Anyone who's in, like, the middle 80% of what a person can be is so happy. But anyone kind of weird, they're really miserable because society just doesn't make space for them. And I'm sure you can make that argument, right? Where's your individuality? If you're, if you're conforming, yeah. I mean, I'll use broad terms here. If you're conforming, have you lost your, mm -hmm. your freedom, your individuality? So I, 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 granted, I, I assume there's valid views on both, both sides. Um, and the that's most, it's a great discussion. The most direct example I ever saw is I've been to a couple of Japanese soccer games. 
Mm-hmm. And the teamwork is great. Everyone's passing, everyone's playing perfectly. Both games I went to were nil-nil. Zero-zero. Because no one has that, I want to score a goal. I want to be the guy who scored. They just pass to their teammate, who passes to another teammate, who passes to another teammate. And I'm just sat there thinking, someone shoot the goal! Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. It's not the team that passes the most that wins. <laughs> I guess one of my, my analogies would be orchestras. Uh, I like my hob- one of my hobbies is playing in orchestras. So I play with orchestras in America, in Japan. In America, we'll just slop through the things, but really, you know, just like tear ass through a, a big passage and, you know, with passion. Whereas um, the orchestras I play with in Japan were just like pinpoint accuracy, but we don't get too far out of the box. It's like right. within the, you know, norms of that piece. Well, see, that even, I think that's fascinating. You can tie that back to Star Trek because, of course, the Enterprise crew all works together as like this unified whole. But every episode, they solve the problem because one guy just has this wacky idea. And, like, you know, Geordie or Data or sometimes Picard is like, ah, but what if we do this? So, so is the message you you can work together without conforming? I mean, you can can collaborate, you can be respectful. There's a middle ground here where you can be an individual and you can think outside the box, but you have to do it with respect uh, of the people you're with and, and, and listen to them as well. I mean, I guess the difference is you just have to think, what can I as an individual contribute rather than what can I as an individual get out of this? Yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. All right, show's over, right? Done. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I lost my thought there. <laughs> cool, let's talk about laser beams and stuff. Laser beams, right. <laughs> Real quick, I was going to say, um, like, in Trek, we do kind of get that, that extra 20% on the outliers do get brought in. Like, we have kind of... There, there's next-gen episodes where someone is brought in, like, with very different, you know, needs to live, that sort of thing. Well, also, we get, like, Barkley episodes. Mm. And he is, like, the weirdo and outlier, but mm-hmm. everyone tries to help him. Yeah, it's not just like oh, this guy's a freak. Maybe let's just stick him in a closet to fiddle with this device and not talk to it anymore. Like, um, I, I don't want to get too deep in the novels or anything, but I did read a few of the Titan novels, and the whole point of there is Riker's ship is actually with people that, you know, it's like supposed to be twenty percent human. So you have all of these other races that do have pretty wild, um, just needs to live. So that's kind of fun. But you couldn't film that one because of it, of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Spock was that perfect mix, right? Mm. conforming culture versus uh, human versus uh, uh, individual so where are we on the Borg Queen then oh she's so such you know Alice Creed so good such a good character but it does fundamentally alter the nature of Borg she's Mm -hmm. great in this movie because well just because that performance is so fantastic and she the way she tempts Data and he you almost think he's going to turn and then he doesn't but overall, well, I, th- for a second. I think she waters down what the Borg is mm. in a way that makes them slightly less interesting. Because now they're just, oh, they're just minions of this supervillain. I mean, after this, I don't think there's... there's... She shows up in Voyager a bit. Well, she does. But she's not creepy. Yeah, I guess the, the Voyager gets into a lot of Borg. But otherwise, the Borg have been pretty sporadic since then, which is... Well, and that, it looks... I'm hoping that with Picard, we're actually going to go into, like, humanizing the Borg... Because that you know, it treats them as victims, which is the correct response to an individual Borg. Yeah, they didn't ask for this. You, you mentioned the perfect like ending, quote unquote, to Trek would be uh, Valken and Romulan getting together, which has basically happened now in the future. So is yeah. the next step uh, bringing the Borg into the Federation? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and uh, 
that you know that would be the ultimate down the road you know and and one of the uh, star treks down the road it would be an incredible you know we went from klingons being the bad guys to the next generation where we've now got them as allies and aboard the ship even if things are a little uh, uh, tense uh it would be really cool down the road maybe cliche because it's already been done but you make an excellent point star trek 25 years from now 50 years from now it would be uh, really neat to have a a, a, a sibling of Hugh or an offspring of Hugh or offspring of that Borg society. Well, I mean, we did have Seven of Nine on the bridge. Yeah, oh, good point. Right. I forgot about I mean, that. I don't good think point. it's been done as necessary an argument not to do it. Um, going back to Star Wars, people were saying like, oh, no, I don't want to see Kylo Ren turn good. I just want to see him. I want to see him stay bad because it's different. I'm like, no, but the point of these films is that you can go back to the light. I don't want to. I don't want to see that message thrown away because it's more cool to see him as a bad guy. I mean, admittedly, I was hoping for something a little more interesting, but let's not you, have another Rise of Skywalker podcast. You want to see him turn good in a, in a better movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're all in the same boat there, guys. But I was. I was still like, yeah, I'm glad to see him. I want. I want Star Wars to fill me with hope. Yeah. I want to leave Star Wars thinking everyone can be better. Well, and that's gen- that's what I want out of Star Trek. I mean, yeah. Star Trek, for me, it's not, I'm going to make a broad statement here, but for me, it's not good Star Trek if you're not thinking about a topic in a different way um, or inspired by something in it. Just, just I, I think Star Trek needs to end on a good note. Yeah. Um, I think you have to be inspired. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I'm 47 years old. I've spent my entire life growing up with fans coming up to me saying they were inspired by Star Trek. Mm. Um, whether they were an abusive relationship, severe disability, uh, uh, what, whatever the case was, it gave them hope for the future of humanity and hope for their own future and, uh, and brought them a community. And so uh, if Star Trek isn't doing that, if people aren't coming up and saying Star Trek inspired me, it's not Star Trek. I also think at the same time, Star Trek, I don't think, maybe individuals, but in terms of races, there shouldn't be bad guys. It's not like this race are good. It's not Lord of the Rings, where the orcs are born evil. It's, they're just another culture. And sure, at the moment, they're enemies, but maybe they can be friends. Even like at the worst, the Cardassians, there's always one guy who's like, oh, but this guy, you know, maybe there's a little bit of hope there. Yeah, yeah. Devil in the Dark was one of my first, that was when Star Trek clicked for me, uh, watching that episode with the rock monster and, and, and spoiler alert, 50 some odd years later, uh, finding out that it was a mother protecting its young. Mm. And so, you know, who's the devil in the dark? The, the, it or the ones mining its children, right. humans. Um, I, I loved that twist and that, that was empathy, you know, to, for a show to be able to teach empathy or to show empathy uh that's what the world needs right now that's what it's always needed that's what we will always need mm-hmm. and and to be inspired by empathy see empathy and hopefully emulate empathy yeah, that's the only way we're gonna we're gonna move forward here i guess that's the borg queen conundrum is that um trek does allow for somewhat bad people right you know khan's pretty nasty right the borg queen is relatively nasty but now she's supposed to personify the thoughts of this entire race right as the only individual see i i think just from this film alone i could read it as just she is just a mouthpiece for the borg and the borg are still a hive mind as we'd originally thought of them 
I don't know if Voyager undermines that at all. But like when Picard was made into Locutus, it didn't change the fact that the Borg were a hive mind. He is just there to talk to humanity. So the it could even be the Borg Queen is there to talk to Data. The Borg aren't all bad. No, the Borg are just automata. They're robots. They're 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 just they're just doing what they're programmed to do. It's a horrible thing that they're doing. Yeah, but they are just doing that. You guys said it though. The Queen was the they needed to make it the bad guy, so they had to bring in a character with personality and and give a little bit of justification, whether we agree with it or not. Because Picard even says, like, if you if they don't think you're a threat, they'll ignore you. The individual Borg are not are never vindictive or malicious. They're just plopping about doing what they do. But, you know, if you get in their way, you might have a problem. Yep. slightly lighter it's just i think this is the first time we got any rock and roll in star trek i mean what about the uh the song that with the colorful metaphors from four? Oh yeah i made a I even recorded <laughs> you that even one, made a cover I? of that yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> this but, i felt the songs that cochran's into are they real songs or is that just like ooby dooby yeah oh no but the, oh yeah ooby dooby <laughs> was good but the first time he plays music it just sounds like generic guitar riffs that come with like your CD to teach you how to play guitar. Uh, I sit around <laughs> playing generic guitarists. I, I just realized actually yesterday, I, I hadn't listened to Creedence Clearwater for a long time and no. I hadn't heard the song for 20 years. I was like, I play that on my guitar like every week. I didn't know where it was from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I got chills when uh, when they were about ready to launch. I forgot the song, but uh, uh, he's like, I forgot it. I forgot it. And then plugs it in and... Magic Carpet Ride. That's it. Steppenwolf. Is that what it was? Yeah. And they're like, can we turn it down? I was like, no, Riker, shut up. Keep playing the music. This is fucking awesome, dude. Driver gets to choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the rules. That's the rules. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I would have put in Black Sabbath Paranoid myself, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Earlier, when you forgot Zephyrin Cochran's name, it brought back a memory for me. Um, the first time I realized that I was a big Star Trek nerd, it would have been about 2010. Um, and I was on a night out drinking and I suddenly get a phone call from a school friend. I hadn't spoken to him in like two years. I'm like, hello? He's like, Luke, what's the name of the guy who invented the warp drive in Star Trek? I'm like, uh, Zephram Cochrane? Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> like, he just knew he could phone me and ask me that. Must have been trivia night. Yeah, I, I actually, I never found out what the context was for why he needed to know that. <laughs> but yeah, shout out to Big Dave. <laughs> While you guys brought up music, I gotta say, this is one of my favorite soundtracks. It's a good. Idea. It was it was different than Star Trek is used to, but it was still beautiful. There was something very inspiring and moving about this, and I know it hits everyone in different ways. But I'll tell you, it's one of my favorite soundtracks out of all the Star Treks. Yeah, I think the worst and this one doesn't do that. The worst thing I've heard in a Trek soundtrack is basically uh, they copied a proper classical piece a little bit too much, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> But yeah, I, I guess I think the next gen movies put a little more uh, etherealness into the soundtracks. Maybe just that's a production thing, you know, a little more uh, mm. you know, digital 
production of uh, possibilities and such. Well, and I've, I've just always loved the next-gen theme, so mm. when that blares out at the end, I mean, I think, I can't remember if I ever saw any of the next-gen films in the cinema. Maybe I caught Nemesis, so great. <laughs> but I would have loved to have been sat in a movie theater and just have that playing out from the big old speakers. I saw the motion picture in the movie theater when I was, I don't know, three, four, five. I thought it was the most boring movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we, our very first episode of this podcast actually was the motion picture. And it's one where the older I get and I become more old and boring, the more I can enjoy an old and boring film like that. <laughs> but yeah, if I'd been like three years old watching it in a theater. Right? Yeah, it was a book transcribed into a movie more than anything else. You know, it was yeah. a classic sci-fi and not an action movie. Yeah, just before we go on with you, we were talking games. We were talking Mario Kart and the DS, and I'm a little older than Luke, right? So, I'm like, yeah, I couldn't play it. It hurt my thumbs too much. So I played Sonic Racing, and he was like, yeah, I just I just hurt my thumbs. Yeah, I, I had, like, a big red scar across my thumb for, like, a year from Mario Kart DS. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I stay away from games just because I know if I get addicted to it, I will never. Uh, I don't play any. I haven't played World of Warcraft, any of those things. I just can't. If something else takes more time out of my life, I'm basically dead. Right. The D- the DS was my my time of playing too many RPGs, and since then, not not so much. So, <laughs> but um, except Halo, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, that just for individuality or things. Um, I do, I had, I guess I'm talking about it now. But for me, I really loved Halo. But I've got to have the person I'm playing it with like in the room with me. Like if it's like through a chat or something. That's no fun. I, I want to be. Able, I, I guess I want that little bit of connection, just to be able to, you know, yell at somebody. Uh, yeah, my good memories of Halo playing it with my brother. Yeah, I like story mode. I, I, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I enjoy I, the story. I even read I, the novels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never wanted to play a game online. So, <laughs> um, although recently it's been great because I've got lots of friends on the other side of the world who I can't visit. So. I've been playing a lot of online games. Well, yeah, that's where this podcast comes in, too. So, yep. um, you know, uh, of course, we have folks like you come in, but there's fr- friends I, you know, friends from high school that I didn't talk to for 10 years, and well, suddenly I'm regularly talking to them again. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. You guys, are you guys fluent Japanese? You, oh, oh no. must be by now. No. Well, because <laughs> at, at the day job, we're only allowed to speak English. We're not allowed to let the kids know we speak Japanese. Uh-huh. So I don't get much chance to practice. So I can I can get by in daily life. I can go shopping and go to the bank and stuff. But I remember back in, I think it must have been like September, I was on a trip and I was buying a coffee and I just chatted to the woman behind the counter about the weather. And I felt so proud of myself that I could make small talk about the weather. <laughs> That's great. That's great. See, my, my wife's Japanese, so she can still give me crap about my, my Japanese language level. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, Sorry, I derailed us there with that comment, but uh, that's fine. I feel like we're we're coming close to winding down. No, no, we we really we that's that's uh, you know the we really should know some more Japanese. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> well, especially you. You've been here like thirteen years. My reading's a lot better in my re- uh, listening for and speaking for some reason. Oh, I think I'm the other way around because I just hate kanji. Oh, okay, yeah, I can handle some. Well, I think you guys are way better than me and probably many of your audience members when it comes to speaking uh, Japanese and reading Japanese, except for perhaps your Japanese fans. So yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> But uh, I guess let's let's wind it down a little bit with uh, first contact in the year, twenty twenty one. Oh wait, I just remembered. Oh, we haven't talked about Lieutenant Hawk. Oh yes, you <laughs> want to get to Lieutenant Hawk? Okay. Uh, he's he's um, when we did what was it Minority Report, 
I was like, oh, he's one of those actors who you just see in stuff, but you can't remember what mm-hmm. you've seen him in. He's in this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that was um, Neil McDonough. So is he your favorite red shirt now? Yeah, I think so. And he, okay. he, I was like, oh, I kind of know that guy. Oh, he's getting a lot of lines. Oh, he's going to die, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I just thought there's three choices in the Borg. I'll, I'll go directly for him first. <laughs> like, uh, who are we going to kill? The famous star of the series? The guy who's still on Deep Space Nine or other one? Or... <laughs> That's the... Well, they, he came back pretty quick, though, right? The guy just kind of walked off with him. And yeah, then a couple minutes like... later, he's back. We won't talk about the inconsistencies They've here. They've gotten very was... at the old... Assimilating. Well, yeah, yes. I'm guessing they couldn't. And have they put the suit back on him, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> they had to get him out of the suit. They had to implant him. Then they had to put him back in the suit because. Well, he, he only looked like he had to be in the suit. Uh, implant. So if they got just like a. Ripped off the helmet. Stuck Borg T virus, they could just jab him with, and there you go. I guess that would be another logical flaw here. Just how. Fa- I mean, clearly the Borg sphere only can only have a few moments to teleport or, or transport a few people to a ship and you know within 20 minutes they got the engineering looking like a board cube so <laughs> yeah but uh you know that that that's our willing suspension of disbelief they're um, efficient they're the book yes um i guess the other thought i had is um the in next gen especially the whole thing is Riker does on the away missions and mm. because it's safer to stay on the ship where it's quite the opposite here so that's kind of fun uh, this was definitely just Picard really wanted to go and meet Zephyr Cochrane, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we got Riker <laughs> on the planet ch- kind of chilling and, you know, yeah. drinking tequila and uh, Picard having to go all Rambo on everyone. So, Well, yeah, because, like, Riker, Geordi, and Troy don't even know any of that Borg stuff is going on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, at the end, even when it shoots the torpedo, it's like, oh, they're waving us, <laughs> wishing us luck. With the torpedo. <laughs> I-, I liked that human moment uh, about touch when Data and Picard were touching the, the-, the ship, mm. the rocket. And he was asking the question, does, does touch actually mean anything? And it was, it was neat to have Picard say what he said and then Data being like, yep, nope, just a bunch of imperfections. And, you know, it was, it was a nice contrast. It was a nice character moment. It was a nice contrast. It was a nice human moment. I like it when characters say, you know, it smells sweet. You know, you, 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 they, they talk about really being there. Something smells or it feels or, 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 or they taste it. it. It it brings you or at least brings me a little bit more into it because I'm able to understand now another dimension of what that character is going through. And so I, I appreciate that. Even when data is like, yeah, nope, just imperfections and, and gold medal, you know. Well, Matt, Matt always likes to bring it up when he watches a film and he feels like he can smell the film. Oh, yeah, I have a lot of smell of vision on my mind. I, I think I was putting in some recent note, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. But like when you're on the Enterprise, the Enterprise, you can't smell it. The Enterprise, that's just going to smell like a new car. Yeah, as well. Say this one definitely but has like, a new car smell. I bet. Um, I bet when you're down on like in Zephyr Cochrane's bar, you can smell that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely. Oh, yeah, we all know that. Though. We know what that smells like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I spent a few years teaching like outdoor education uh, a little bit in Canada and up and down the East Coast of America, and yeah, I know those places. I mean, we didn't have a, a warp capable ship underground but you know the rest of it seems pretty much on a hanging out with the hippies and teaching environmental science i think if i stepped into that bar i'd instantly vomit because i haven't drunk now for like 14 months and even when i just put the alcohol spray on my hands the smell is a bit much (laughs) (laughs) oh you're much healthier you're much healthier I, I, I can't say that. No, I can't You're, you're doing good. I just try to walk it off a lot, like 20, 15 to 20 kilometers a day. Although you broke in your new shoes, did you? Yeah. <laughs> I made the stupid mistake 
buying some new hiking shoes and then the first time I wore them, I went for like a 38 kilometer hike. How, you guys are crazy. I, I, I understand like 38 kilometers is what, 15 miles? I mean, it's something still yeah, significant miles, yeah. in miles. That's a long ass hike. We take the long walks around here. Well, we're surrounded by really beautiful mountains. So you just, you got to go up. Yeah, we're in the city, but... I don't like to follow, like, oh, here's a hiking trail. I just step outside, and I'm like, I'm going to walk to that one. <laughs> and I go for it. Wow, that's impressive, guys. I, like, when I, I go on a long hike, hike it's five miles. <laughs> I'm from Atlanta, right? You drive everywhere. Everything's so spread out. Um, Japan's compact. I mean, it's, it's you're going on these long walks, but it's just it, everything keeps changing, so it it's never gets boring, really. Mm. <laughs> the The actual livable space is so small because it's so mountainous. Right, right. So it's just, that's why they're jam-packed in like sardines. And yeah, we're, we're, we're right smack in the middle of Japan. We're not, this isn't Tokyo, so. Uh, yeah. Nagano is a, Nagano is like a medium-sized city, but um, you can very quickly get out of Nagano. And uh, I mean, it, geez, we're probably five miles away from uh, being in the middle of a blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, right now. Is it it's, snowing up? Right yeah, there, yeah I've been flurry. seeing some flakes, but, but you can see the mountains are yeah, kind of pretty up light. there it'd be quite dangerous, and it's not so far away. <laughs> wow, wow. But well, hey, well, quickly, just one last thing on sound. I, I, um, uh, a couple friends of mine have told me about this. In fact, dare I mention that uh, I think uh, John Champion of Mission Log, he turned me on to, you know, in Next Generation, in engineering, you've got the hum of the Enterprise. Mm. Even on the bridge, if you ever actually listen to Next Generation, there's always that like that sound in the background, the engine hum. And apparently you guys may know this. They have a YouTube like that's like an hour long or two hours long and people use it like for productivity. They just put it on in the background because it it soothes them. It's 10 hours long and I've put it on to sleep before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as you started bringing that up, that's what I was thinking of. Like, yeah, you can I, I, find just the sound. And occasionally like the little beep, 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 the little sounds. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, and it, it is there's something comforting. It's very comforting. Yeah. I do that. But when I, if I go to sleep with headphones, I always wake up and the headphones are somewhere horrible and I'm worried I'll break them if I do that. Oh, the difference is I live alone so I can just blare it out through the speakers. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure your wife wouldn't be a fan of that. Yeah. I don't know. It's like white noise. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's go. First contact in the year 2021. I, I think it's a pretty general feeling that this is one of the ones that has held up a little better. There are one or two effect shots that, like, okay, it's a little cheesy, like when they're on the spaceship outside. Mm. But for the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can for the most it. part, this holds up really well. So, um, Rod, when, when we emailed, you were like, this is straight up your favorite, which I assume means Overcon, uh, which I wouldn't necessarily argue with. I like both. But uh, what, what, does, what does it for you on this one? Well, I mean, a lot of what we've already discussed um, – I really like the characters being out of their element, but still having that family connection and everyone collaborating and everyone still working together and respecting one another. Um, and then, you know, it's the characters, again, as I just said, being out of the, again, Troy getting drunk, it's not important to it, but it was nice to see another side of her character. And listen, it wasn't necessary. It was a little slapstick. It was a little over the top, but it, it, it was, it was good. And then the, the magnificence, the beauty of humanity taking that first step, first contact, you know, it, it is, there is a little um, strange contrast to me that this is 10 years after World War III, which decimated our planet, destroyed all the major cities, very depressing uh, uh, concept there. 
But now we've got um, a, a, a incredible scientist of the Elon Musk status who was able to take a, a, a ballistic missile and, and, and put a ship on it and now has created warp. It is weird to have these kind of, basically everyone's living in tents, but there's a rocket right there and he's able to go in space. Anyhow, it was still beautiful for that to happen and have first contact. And uh, it's, um, there's, it's just a great package. This, this is a feel good movie. This is 100% a feel good movie, minus the Rambo Borg stuff. It's a feel good movie. Um, Luke, we, we've talked about your, your, our Star Wars rankings quite well, which uh, we should also mention as much as we didn't like Skywalker, we did put Last Jedi at the top of our list of that one. But uh, what, what is your Star Trek list? I think I'd still put six at the top. Yeah. I really like Undiscovered Country. Um, right underneath that would be probably either this one or Khan. Mm. Um, after that, it does get a bit. I've never sat down and thought about this list. But this one is easily in my top three. Yeah. I, I guess. We'll and again, I like I said, I, I'm more of a next gen guy. Um, but I, I do think TOS did very well in the movies. Yeah. I, I guess uh, these movies have just very distinct flavors, which is nice. Like, yeah. Like, kind of depends on your mood. Like, uh, as we've talked before, I, I do get into a Star Trek V mood more than I want to admit. So, so uh, speaking of which, we should, well, how do you feel about five? Because uh, we keep talking to people, and everyone's like, well, no one else likes it, but I do. And no one, we haven't actually had someone really slam it yet. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm, I'm an atheist, and so I love the discussion. And I, I'm not very good at it, but I love the discussion of, of, of religion and God and, and those sorts of things. I, I am not knowledgeable. I have not read the Bible. I'm not going to debate with anyone. Uh, because anyone who believes, believes, and there's no real way you're going to convince them. There's no way to say, you're wrong, prove it. And they're going to say, Yo, you're wrong, prove it. So anyhow, um, but I love that discussion. Uh, so I think Star Trek V had the potential to do something really interesting. And it just kind of, the reveal was sort of like, oh, he's just a, a really powerful entity who apparently, I mean, apparently really powerful, but still trapped, but needs a starship to get, it, it just kind of lost me there. And then Spock having a brother, I, it, I, <laughs> I, no, I'm not a fan of it. That, um, cool. I, I'm not going to just come down on it like, because everyone else does. It just doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> they land on the planet and you see all the, the two track uh, car trails going off into the distance. You can tell that there've been Jeeps and everything there. I, I don't know. It just, meh. I, I'm, the, I'm the guy that's subversively been telling people it's my favorite, but it, I, I, realistically it's probably not, but I just, yeah, I get a kick out of it. <laughs> I can't disagree with anything you say. Um, we've talked about on some of our episodes before, just sometimes a little wonkiness well, is later. good. Oh, no, 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 no. I just, um, like when you said the twist is weird, the, I think the real twist of the movie is it ran out of budget. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, but, um, like the effects in that are just so slapdash and weird looking, they appeal to me. I mean, I like watching like 60s experimental films, so it's like Star Trek V gives me a little bit of that in it too, which is kind of fun. So it's a fun film. Is, does it start with Shatner? Is he rock climbing Yosemite? Is that Captain is Kirk is climbing a mountain? Why is he climbing a mountain? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I've always had a little bit of an issue with with. Uh, well, well, I mean, the Kirk Shatner needing to be the hero. I, just a little gratuitous for me. Just okay. Well, that's another reason I like Six is because. Kirk's very much wrong in that film. Yes. Yes. I, I will. I agree with you on that. I like the fact that he's the old guard. 
and he's looking at from an old mindset and he has all this, this, uh, 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 not bigotry, but, but, uh, he's, he's looking at the Klingons. He's got all this anger, especially they killed his son. Um, but yes, he is wrong because this is the time for change and you need to have forgiveness and, and not judge an entire species or culture based on the actions of, of something historical or, the, or, or, uh, or just the few. So I agree with you. Not that I don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. We can all agree on different things. <laughs> but no, I just, while we got you on the horn, I definitely wanted to just uh, have, a, have a few spit takes at a few of the other. Yeah, you're the first ones. person we've asked who is actually not like five. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, uh, the general feeling is that most people don't. So right. I was like, how, how far does this go? <laughs> I like it in the same way that I like, you know, Kanye West or Alex Jones. <laughs> it's just, it's a weird thing to look at and be like, huh, someone made that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, I can get that sort of, uh, okay. All right. <laughs> it's, it's a head scratcher for sure. Yeah. It's, it's a caught film among a um, more mainstream franchise. <laughs> Which I like. Um, so I, I guess we're winding down here, but uh, without without breaking any NDEs, can you can you give us any uh, vision of future Trek? You know, sadly, I can't. Um, <laughs> I would love to say something. You guys brought up something a little while ago, and I was going to say, oh well, you might get a taste of that. Um, <laughs> but I can't. I, I really, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty much owned by CBS and and uh, the studios right now, and and we're all. I'm a team player, and uh, in order for these things to succeed, you you, you got to play with the team. Um, I would love to share little bits with you guys, uh, but they haven't asked, actually called upon me to do that. Um, so, so uh, I can tell you. Well, I can't tell you anything. That's fine. I, I love, and it's not even. It's not even. There, there's a bunch of different shows coming out and um, a, a strange new world. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because they have Anson Mount who did a great job as Pike on season two of discovery. Everyone, loves uh, Incredible Pike. job. He became my second favorite captain instantly when he stood on the bridge there and he brought up his dossier and showed his grades and what he failed on and went around the room and said what he said to everyone. I said, that's my captain. I will follow that guy. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I will follow him. Okay, this uh, is an audio so... podcast, so just nod or shake your head. The listeners won't know. Have they greenlit <laughs> Star Trek Lieutenant Hawk? <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell you what's happening. Damn, that's what yeah. I'm looking forward to. <laughs> no. But I, I, yeah. I, if I didn't ask you the question, people would be like, why didn't you ask that? So, <laughs> no, no, listen, I'd love to share things with you guys. I, I can't. No um, problem. Cool. Just, I feel like it's my duty to at least, at least ask it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, is there even the smallest tidbit that's already out there? No. <laughs> you know, the, the fans know things faster than I do. No, it's cool. Luke doesn't like to watch trailers anyway, so. Yeah, I don't want to know anything. I just want to go in and experience it. <laughs> but Matt, you did it wrong. You don't make a big thing of asking at the end. You just, mid-conversation, you just drop the question in there and catch him off guard. He said he did give us a tidbit, and, and I did ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we won't, that's neither here nor there. Um, usually we ask people, uh, we have other podcast people, and they give us the podcast address, but um, is there any particular sites on the Roddenberry podcast that you'd like to send people to? Uh, any particular what? Sites? Yeah, yeah. Where where do you want to oh, uh, do I want to plug anything that we're doing? Yeah, yeah. basically. 
Uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, absolutely. Um, Sci-Fi Five is a brand new podcast we came out with, and uh, it's uh, five days a week, five minutes, and it just goes into uh, little bits of historical sci-fi trivia that are either relevant to the day oh. or to someone's birthday or whatever. It's a I'm quick bite to that for anyone right else. That, that sounds really fun. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's all these it's all these great sci-fi shows and books and moments, and it's just a little five-minute history on things you didn't know. And and uh, John Champion is is the guy running it. And we've got I believe five hosts who who alternate throughout the week, so you get different voices. And um, it's just you, you got five minutes, you'll hear something interesting, and hey, you'll hear something sci-fi cool. Sci-fi pod. Sci-fi five. Sci-fi five. Sci-fi five. Sci-fi five. And of course, Mission Log is the podcast that. Uh, is our, our, our flagship podcast that I, I love. Um, uh, Norman and John have done an incredible job the last couple of seasons of Deep Space Nine. I think we're in season six of Deep Space Nine. Uh, I've actually fallen behind, um, but that is a 14 plus year uh, endeavor to, to uh, analyze every Star Trek episode out there, which uh, I think you guys know, so. Yeah, that's where I've kind of uh, gone more from Trek, just being a big, Trekkie fan to really thinking more about the philosophy and stuff as they yeah. get pretty deep into that. So it's, and uh, do do the stories have messages and do those messages hold up today? Yeah. And, so it's and, and what are the different points of view on those messages, which is great. <laughs> and uh, listeners, you might want to check out Rod's work on a little project called. Am I saying this right? Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Yes. Obviously, there's a lot of other big players that are making all the new Star Treks happen. I am a small cog <laughs> in the machine, uh, very small. Um, so there's an incredibly talented team of people making the new Star Trek uh, what it is. So um, uh, they certainly deserve the credit uh, far beyond me. And just to help out the listeners, if you want to search for Sci-Fi 5, you have to type the number 5. You can't write the word 5 or it doesn't come up. <laughs> right. Well, actually, well, hold a on. Of we just launched we just launched a new uh, a page, uh, podcast.roddenberry.com. Just everyone, podcast.roddenberry.com. It's got all our podcasts. It's a lot easier to get through now. You can see what's uh, there. You can get little snippets. There you go. Done. Cool. Boom. Done look at the that. bottom of your screen. Look at the bottom of your screen right now if you guys are looking at something. It's there. Now these guys have to type it in. <laughs> Oh. oh, a new editing trick for me. After uh, yeah, I learned a, good, a new one last week. So who knows? Maybe <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> um, and have I got to our plugs now? Yeah, I was gonna say you've done a similar thing for for our weird weird podcasts. All right, here we go. <laughs> if you like this podcast, you can find it on Twitter at MLSFS Pod. We also do other podcasts. I do a Pokemon one. Matt does one about weird educational films. We've got Monster Hunter one. You can find all of our podcasts by going to Patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius and if you like the music you heard in this podcast you can find more of matt's music at rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com so is podcastio podcastius like what is like a harry potter spell no no it's a reference to the sitcom peep show yeah um one of the guys starts up a consulting consulting company called consultio consultius okay and it's just the the joke is that it's such a crap name (laughs) and it always stuck with me and i just decided to use that okay i i didn't argue so (laughs) i like the Bandcamp url (laughs) yep oh the roving sage right right that's um i work he's he's, actually that's the guy we actually did talk to star trek 5 about but um you know, he's he's my Australian mystical buddy that lives in Tokyo now. So. <laughs> nice, nice. You meet, you meet well, thanks for having me on the show, guys. This is uh, this is awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. It, was, it was really fun to talk to you. Yes, definitely. Thank you for joining us. So uh, what, what are we going to do today? Well, to um, here? 
Rod, thanks for joining us, but I'm afraid you and the listeners can go this far, no further. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> okay, but yeah. Live yeah. long and prosper, everyone. Love Thank you all. You Have a great one. Bye-bye. Japan. I've visited, but I've I've always loved the culture there. I certainly don't know it anything like you guys do, but I've I've been there a couple times, and I I I, I love it. I remember my experience back in 1991, long time ago, was I felt like in Tokyo I could put my wallet on a corner of a uh, sidewalk. I'm sure it's changed since, and I could go away and come back tomorrow, and it would still be there. It hasn't. Um, um, I'm sure it's different now. No, it's exactly the same. <laughs> Uh, I first landed in Tokyo, and the first thing I saw was people just put their phones on charge at the airport and wander off. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've actually have lost well, my wallet. It hasn't here. changed. I lost my wallet, and I just went to the police station the next day. They gave it to me. I uh, went back to work. Work got a phone call. They're like, oh, you've left 10 yen at the station. We're going to send an officer to give it to you. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's how not busy the that's police awesome. are. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, right. Well, that's a, hey, that's a good thing.